Welcome to this edition of SPAC Chat. Uh, you've got Tom Burton, uh, Sas Ramelli, and Jeff Schultz, all from Mints. Uh, this is the team that's uh, done several of these podcasts examining uh, the myths uh, and uh, realities around SPAC transactions. This group has worked on these deals for uh, 20 years and in particular uh, been very active, as you might imagine, over the last year or so. Uh, we are today taking a look at what is occurring in the media. We're reading a lot about the SPAC boom and bust um, uh, featured in major publications like the Wall Street Journal and others. And um, we're here to uh, debunk maybe some of the myths over the stories that uh, seem to be reporting the SPAC trend is dead. So uh, we're going to start off actually talking a little bit about what has happened in the market in, in the last couple of months where we saw Q1 being uh, an epic quarter of fundraising for SPACs, over $100 billion was, was funded, and the market was quite uh, heated, so to speak, uh, to what has been a pretty substantial slowdown. So to set the record straight, I'm gonna turn this one over to Jeff uh, and to Saad to give us some perspectives on um, you know, why we were seeing a bit of a slowdown, uh, or a lot of a slowdown for that matter, and, um, and what are some of the reasons behind it? Yeah, so this is Jeff Schultz. So one of the, or a couple of the reasons that the media has been portraying is what has happened is that the, uh, you know, the SEC has been cracking down on these types of transactions and making certain statements, both um, from an accounting perspective and from a legal perspective. From the accounting side, uh, they put out a statement that basically was saying that the warrants issued in um, many of the SPAC IPOs um, should have been classified as a liability instead of equity, which it had been accounted for, which requires a number of companies that have already done these back transactions to have to restate their financial statements. And for those who have done their IPOs, also to restate their financial statements. And for those who are going through the IPO process to kind of change up or come up with a way to uh, deal with this warrant liability issue. So that caused a lot of turmoil, a lot of the deals to, to slow down, figure out what the SEC wants. And then also on the legal side, uh, the SEC um, has made some statements about potentially changing some of the rulemaking uh, regarding the projections and the safe harbor protection that uh, forward-looking statements uh, were given. And so that has also been out there. And so, People think that that has slowed down the market considerably, but from our perspective, the market had been slowing down uh, before then, and the pipe market had, had slowed down, and there's been more of a focus on the valuations given to a lot of these companies. And so the, the regulatory regime is changing, but at the same time, the market had been reacting to kind of the glut. There's, there were so many SPACs out there, and it continued to be, and you know, there's only so many uh, good companies who are who are targets. Um, so I think we're seeing a kind of a, a correction uh, to that at the moment. Yeah, uh, Jeff, I, th I think you're right. You know, I think what we saw happening at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021 in terms of new uh, IPOs by SPACs that were you know being formed to raise money to do future deals to do these D-SPAC acquisitions where effectively they merge with a private company and that's a you know a means of the private company going public. Those uh, fundraisers uh, were uh, fast and furious. In fact, the first quarter, um, I think, saw more activity and issuance than uh, the entire prior year. And and so, um, 
that level of interest, as well as a lot of media attention to these deals, um, you know, I think brought brought a lot of focus and attention. And at the same time that was happening, as you mentioned, there was a, a shift in the pipe market. But I think there was also a broader shift in the market, right? I mean, if you just read what was going on in the stock market, a lot of transition from these sort of future value stocks, right, growth-oriented stocks into more cyclical uh, oriented stocks, and that led to a reduction across the board, not only in companies that had already despacked, but are, are, you know other sort of uh, high multiple companies that didn't have a lot of revenue, and that's the model for a lot of these stocks. Those were the markets for for these companies in particular um, in the EV and uh, uh, sustainability clean tech side, but also in some of the biotech side and some of the tech side companies that had a lot of, you know, future anticipated or goals for revenue, but not a lot of current revenue. And as the broader market shifted away from that, pipes shifted away from that, and then that puts a lot of pressure on the deals overall. And then you sort of couple that with kind of the SEC throwing cold water with the, you know, the Warren accounting treatment basically involved the accounting firms in discussions directly with the SEC for over a month about how these how these matters should be treated. And, and there was a lot of back and forth, and there was a lot of hope that the SEC might actually sort of come down and say, well, we want to change it going forward, but we're going to create a path with respect to the stuff that's already been issued. But that didn't happen. And so pretty much every company that either was a SPAC or had, you know, de-SPAC'd and was previously a SPAC had to pause, have their auditors, their legal teams, et cetera, re review the specific provisions of their securities and the accounting, accounting treatment of those, and then determine what they had to do. And you know, now you're seeing a slate of restatements, uh, amendments uh, of prior filings and things like that. And so that's mechanically slowed down the process. Um, I think that part was a speed bump. And then the sort of broader liability framework of saying that, you know, uh, a SPAC uh, board should be, or there should be greater liability for SPACs or parties involved with respect to the, these types of disclosures and forward-looking statements. I think that sort of leads you towards saying, okay, well, there's more work to be done in these processes to make sure that investors are getting a fair view of the investment opportunity. Yeah, let's dive into a couple of these things, uh, uh, Sa. So there's there's a couple of things on my mind. One is just the valuation question, you know, which really to me says, you know, the pipe market has decided to value operating companies, you know, which are based on growth in the future um, differently than they were before. The operating companies then need to rationalize whether or not the lower value makes sense to continue to become or to ultimately become a public company at at, at that time as well. And so. There is a mismatch then, a supply and demand mismatch, so to speak, with respect to you know getting to the right valuation. That that to me seems like the kind of thing that does work itself out. Um, essentially, there will be a uh, I would say a flight to quality. You know, where the higher quality businesses, which have um, a higher you know, likelihood of meeting their projections, uh, will be the ones that are able to get you know financings or, or spac trans spac transactions completed. And then behind the scenes are the, the two issues, one, the warrant, which you see is a speed bump, and then the other one uh, around around disclosures. Um, can you, uh, you or, or Jeff, just give us maybe two minutes on the warrant speed bump and, and just a little bit more detail in terms of, um, you said mechanically, but why why is it a speed bump? First of all, 
after you know how many years were we doing SPAC transactions with the same kind of warrant terms and never an issue. Now we have an issue. How has it been ultimately settled so that it is merely a speed bump? So it had been in it, you know, those warrants issued in the SPAC IPOs have been around for at least five years. So it is strange that it, all of a sudden it, it became an issue um, for the SEC and to go back and to review the, the terms of those warrants. There's specific language in in the in the warrants that uh, caused the auditors to believe that it should be treated as a, as a liability, um, and so that has caused a lot of uh, companies to, to to have to or decide that they had to restate their their previously issued financial statements. What's happening is the move, the, the accounting move, and the and the SEC push to you know force companies to to view some of what I'd say are the highly unlikely outcomes in 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 sort of in the real world with respect to whether a warrant holder would ever have to be paid cash by the company, um, right? And that's sort of the basis of saying accordingly you you need to take charges and and account as a liability because you might have to do that rather than just settle it in your stock, i.e. Someone exercises and the company delivers stock in exchange when there's an exercise. Um, what, what happens is the companies end up having to uh, each quarter uh, take a charge or or, uh, or have a gain, depending on whether the warrant value and the and the likelihood of the outcomes and the cost of the outcome have gone up or down, um, and and book that into non-cash item. And so the result is that net income. Um, that a company publishes on a gas basis reflects a change in the warrant liability from the prior period. And so, you know, that is not something I think uh, people will find as meaningful as, uh, and people will want to know what's going on, you know, aside from that. So we've already seen some companies that are providing an adjusted net income number, right, that backs out the effect of the change in the warrant uh, liability. And uh, similarly, right, we think in a lot of growth stocks, people are looking at something like EBITDA rather than, or adjusted EBITDA rather than net income on a gap basis. Uh, and that's again because they want to back out what uh, they might otherwise consider, uh, you know, non-business oriented charges. And in particular, when those charges relate to something that, you know, uh, most people don't expect to happen, uh, it seems like something that investors uh, won't be bothered by on a go forward basis once they recognize uh, that it's going to be happening every quarter. Yeah, I think, I think what the takeaway is this is kind of a silly exercise in that um, no one was investing in SPACs or is investing in these DSPAC companies based on whether the warrants were accounted for as a derivative reliability or an equity or a derivative liability. And, and I think it's pretty clear that this is a speed bump because investors really don't care about this in, in, in our opinion. It's not something that um, you know investors in the IPO cared about when they were uh, investing in IPOs. Um, so I, I don't see it as a real issue going forward, just something that has to be dealt with, um, which yep. is what the companies are doing. That makes sense. And that's evidenced by the fact that we saw a few SPAC IPOs priced in the last week, as well as several DSPAC transactions announced. Which means that you know investors in the pipe market in these companies are coming to terms. They are coming to agreement on valuation, um, and that there there is um, 
some appetite. It's smaller, obviously. Um, it may be more more of a rational appetite as opposed to previously irrational appetite, but an appetite to complete SPACs, uh, SPAC IPOs to to ultimately uh, find good targets. Um, I still worry or wonder about the use of the projections as uh, part of the materials here in these deals. Um, they are um, essentially required disclosures effectively. Um, and yet we're hearing from the House Financial Services Committee that there may be some movement to attempt to change the rules around uh, disclosures in connection with SPAC transactions. Um, might that have a bit of a chilling effect too on these deals or, or do we think it just would be uh, too long a process for the rules to, um, to be implemented? What, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that, guys? So I think it's possible, you know, the, the House Financial Services Committee, you know, just held a hearing to discuss uh, some of these matters. And, you know, there's a proposal to, um, you know, exclude SPACs from the um, safe harbor for forward-looking statements in connection with the SPAC transaction. So there definitely does seem to be some movement in that direction that likely will probably curb the, the use of projections. I believe in um, you know in these in these transactions. So I think what will happen is that you know these transactions will have to be sold to investors in in a more similar way to how IPOs are sold to investors. It seems like the attempt is to level the playing field for IPOs and these back transactions and make the marketing of them um, more consistent. Because the SEC yeah. seems to be concerned that people are taking advantage of the DSPAC transaction to get around the 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 uh, regulations of I, IPOs, which you know in our experience is not really the case. You know the, uh, the practitioners involved and the companies involved and the bankers involved go through a pretty uh, substantial vetting process, similar to what we do for an IPO. And so while there are projections, you know, they are based on reasonable assumptions by management and they're, um, you know, couch, couched in that way. And there's all sorts of disclosures about they are projections and things change and uh, none, none of us can predict the future. Um, but, um, you know, it, it does seem that we're headed in the direction of the SEC that there are going to be some changes. And, um, you know, I think we'll react and adapt to those changes. And I, I agree. I, I think it probably leads to, you know, better process. And so if the if the result is is better process, that's a good thing. Um and I think so some some of the, you know, taking away the uh what what might have been one of the defenses uh with respect to projections, you know, you're probably still putting projections out there because uh, you know it's a public company board is considering a merger um and they're receiving from the target projection information, I think what it probably does is you, you move some of the liability uh, levers around and that makes the board a lot more proactive about insisting that their financial advisors do a lot more work in review, right, of the financials or that's what you would have expected all along, but I think this will be more, you know, specific and clear and people will make sure that there are really excellent professional processes 
to make sure that everything is really well vetted um, and that uh, uh, it's been reviewed for, I don't want to use the term expertise, but that you will bring in outside advisors who do thorough analyses and that the, you know, the pros and cons are put out there because that's really the goal of the securities disclosure regime is that it's all out there for people. So is there a best case model, a worst case model, a middle model? Then if there are multiple models, like there are in some public-to-public larger M&As, maybe those will be in there, right, rather than just the one. And again, this, the goal is to say there's good process around it um, and that people are making sure that investors have an opportunity to make fully informed decisions. And, and if that means that the quality of SPACs and processes around SPACs get better, uh, then this useful, what we think, what I think is a useful tool for fundraising and capital markets transactions uh, will continue and I think can even gain momentum. And if you look at what's happened in the history of SPACs over the last uh, you know, 15 to 20 years, they've gone from, uh, you know, uh, structures that were set up for companies that were raising, you know, 30, 50 million dollars to, you know, now multi-billion dollar processes. So I think there's a lot of value to be had and good processes is always a good thing from the investor perspective. Yeah, I think the press, it's a little, hey, the more we can demonize it, you know, the more eyes we get. But I think from a sensibility standpoint, uh, if there's a balanced process and structure, then you can create a lot of value for U.S. capital markets. Yeah, it seems to me that you, what you you're doing here uh, with it is process. You're not changing the fact that you can get a valuation upfront, right? Um, instead of evaluation at the end of the process, you still get the benefit of valuation early in the process and testing the market confidentially with institutional pipe investors, which are really two of the key and, and most important features of these uh, structures. And that are two, two key reasons why you want to engage in those structures. So you're not uh, monkeying with that in any way. So uh, for me, it feels like what, we, what you're getting is a normalization of process, probably more robust process, you know, uh, and then perhaps a more rational pace at which these transactions are going to be completed. There still is $100 billion plus whatever was raised last year that hasn't been um, used in acquisitions or redeemed um, available for companies. And so um, that's a lot of capital. Um, and it means, I think, you know, still a pretty robust and substantial amount of M&A but maybe at a more uh, more deliberate process over the course of the next two years. Uh, as we begin to wrap up, any sort of uh, final thoughts uh, from uh, from Sa and from Jeff? Yeah, so I think I think there are a lot of positives. You know, the, the media has been kind of demonizing, as, as you say, uh, you know, SPACs lately, but, um, you know, it has provided a significant amount of growth capital to these companies that really need the capital to grow their businesses and continue their operations in a more robust way. And so I think it, it really helps for these companies and it gives investors the ability to invest in these growth companies, whereas they, you know, when they were done privately, they were limited to you know, institutional investors and venture capital funds. This provides access of you know, regular investors to these types of companies, these growth companies, earlier than they uh, may have been able to invest in them previously. So, you know, there's a lot of positives um, in, in what has happened, um, both for the target companies, capital, and for investors. And truthfully, there's, you know, there are significantly less public companies now than there used to be, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and so to have a more robust market with a lot more public companies is good for business, good for capital raising. It's good for our economy. 
It's about balance. If we want the United States to remain the epicenter of creative capital formation in the world, and I think we do, then we have to find balance um, and not just shut things down that didn't fit the prior mold. That would, I think, be a bad outcome. And there's been a lot of great creative innovation in capital formation in the United States going on over the last 20, 30 years, and, and then obviously the many years before that. So I think if, if the SEC can help find the right balance in the markets and, and help people align structures that are uh, well aligned for investors to get the information they need for market participants to be able to participate, then we have, you know, this valuable tool for bringing more companies into the capital markets in a world where they can get a lot more dollars to raise and build businesses that bring the innovation engine of the next 50 and 100 years. So I'm all for it. Yeah, totally agree. Let's not let a few bad apples spoil the bunch, as they say, right? Um, we'll be back soon enough with uh, further updates on uh, how we're living through the space. Talk to everyone soon. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.